We're going to explore that next bit next week. If you notice a little bit that's been got comments on it. Um, right now we're going to have the sheets go out. Uh, there's some colouring in from the kids' talk. There's some word searches related to this chapter. So depending on your age, I, I will have an extra lolly for those who colour in all four pictures or an extra lolly for the person, people who complete all of the word searches. Um, I think we can work that one out. And I better pull up my sermon. Um, just while we're doing this, uh, just to bring to your attention, you'll notice there's a table as you head out to morning tea. Um, there's a table set up. It's got two things on it. One is a bunch of sign-up sheets for our home groups. So you'll notice that there's a, a Tuesday morning one, there's a Wednesday night, a Thursday night and a Friday morning home group, a women's group on Friday. Um, so if one of those suits you, then you should jump in and get your name involved. You'll see I've listed who I think is currently going to those groups. If you are listed under a group and that's not true anymore, just cross out your name. That's really easy and that way we'll know not to expect you. Um, but also means that others who are thinking about joining know who they're joining, um, which should be really good. Uh, the other thing is that there's a bunch of photos. They are photos that Charles has given me at various times after events and I have neglected to part pass on to people and I thought, right, I've just got to get them out. So if you see your, your face on a photo, feel free to take it because otherwise, yeah, I'll probably just get rid of them because I've got too many of these photos and they, they're of other people. Much better in your photo album than mine. So, All right, everyone's got their colouring sheets. Fantastic. Um, now, I want to start with some sad news. I don't think it's surprising news. But sadly, many people don't believe in Jesus. Uh, many people in my running group don't believe in Jesus. They, they don't see the need for Jesus in their life. Uh, but it's not just people who are my friends. Many important people don't believe in Jesus. Many scientists don't believe in Jesus. My control of these slides is not working. What a pain. Um, many scientists say that the world can be explained perfectly well without God. Thank you very much. Uh, many leading thinkers, next slide, uh, don't believe in Jesus. Entertaining thinkers like Stephen Fry, profound thinkers like Martha Nussbaum, they don't believe in Jesus. Unbelief is very common. And, next slide, that's nothing new. So even when Jesus was here on earth, people didn't believe in him. And we see that really clearly in today's passage. This term we're returning to John's Gospel. We're starting in chapter 7, which is where we got up to. And we're reminded here that belief in Jesus is rare. Which is surprising because... Uh, John's whole purpose is, uh, in writing this book is that we would believe. He says at the end of his book, John 20, verse 30, um, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, John wants people to believe but it doesn't seem to happen that often. So today, we're going to see three groups of people who don't believe in Jesus, his family, the crowd, and the leaders, and Jesus will show us why they don't believe. But before we do that, why don't we pray?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to understand unbelief. Help, help us so that it doesn't surprise us and discourage us, but also help us to understand unbelief if we find it in our own heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first people who don't believe in Jesus are his family, his own brothers. And what that shows us is that there is, really is a deep divide between Jesus and the rest of the world. Even his own family don't believe in him. Have a look at what happens from the start of the chapter. So in John, Jesus keeps moving between Galilee up the north and Judea down the south. Um, Galilee is his home where he grew up, uh, but his brothers are urging him to go to Judea, the, the, the big smoke. That's where the capital, Jerusalem, is. And yet Jesus says he has good reasons to not go there. Verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Now, the, the brothers' logic makes sense. Jesus is doing amazing miracles. If Jesus shows the world... Well, surely the world will believe in him. Keep reading. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. But Jesus knows they won't believe in him. Because if you were here last year, you'll remember the world is evil. Remember, God sends his son into the world to rescue the world. He sends his son into the world, but the world hates him what's really interesting here is that it doesn't hate his brothers because his brothers are part of the world they're not the same as jesus verse five for even his own brothers did not believe in him and therefore jesus told them my time is not yet here for you any time will do the world cannot hate you but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go up to the festival, I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he said this, he stayed in Galilee. You see, why don't people believe in Jesus? Well, because we're in the midst of a universal conflict. A conflict between God and Satan. A conflict between Jesus and the world. And we... We need to embrace, we're brought up embracing the world's way of living. We're brought up part of the world. In Western society, a good example of this is greed, isn't it? We're told we must accumulate, you must have a mortgage, you must have buy a house, you must contribute to your superannuation because we must have enough for a comfortable retirement. And we all accept that. But then along comes Jesus and he tells us to look at the sparrows who don't accumulate and they have what they need. And immediately we get defensive about our life choices. Oh no, but, we, but, but, but for us, being part of this world, it's a bit like your carbon footprint. You don't grow up and at some point decide to consume so much carbon. It, from the moment you're born, you're a consumer. You're brought up in a carbon-consuming culture. You learn habits of consumption. 
Many people don't believe in Jesus because we're all born part of the world. By default, we are part of the world that hates Jesus, the, the world that does evil, that is exposed by him. So, it's not surprising then when we get to the crowd and they don't believe in Jesus either. That, that's not what's significant in this section. What's significant is what Jesus says to them. Verses 11 to 13, the crowd's been debating whether Jesus is good or is a deceiver. They're debating in private for fear of the leaders. But then halfway through the festival, Jesus gets up and he teaches. And his teaching stands out. He really knows his stuff. It's not like he read it in a book. He, he knows God personally. Verse 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. And the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having, stu been, having um, studied, having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Many moons ago, I did an engineering degree. I thought I knew factories because I'd read an awful lot about them. I, I studied all the ways they worked. And then finally, I went out and started working on site. And you know what I discovered? I didn't know half as much as the guys who spent their time operating the machinery. They knew the factory. I just knew a bunch of theory. Uh, that's what's different with Jesus and God. He's not like us. He doesn't know about God by by information he has interacted god he knows god he comes from god but notice what that means for us notice what jesus says next this is the really important part in what jesus says he says in order for us to recognize that he's from god we need to do his will now, in context, doing God's will means believing in Jesus. It's in chapter 6. Um, the people there asked how to do God's work. Jesus replied, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So now, in chapter 7, when Jesus says the way to recognize he's from God it is to do God's will, it's to believe in him, to, to trust in him. So listen to verse 17. Jesus says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Do you get the, what he's saying there? You can't fully recognise who Jesus is until you believe in him. Some of our biggest doubts and questions about God won't be answered until we start trusting him. Now, that might sound a little counterintuitive, but just ask any nervous bride or groom, there are decisions that you, you can't be certain about until after you commit uh, my kids have always loved reading books to them. One of the books I've always enjoyed is Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham. Uh, just in case you don't know it, it's about this character and his friend Sam I Am. The character doesn't want to eat green eggs and ham, but his friend tries all sorts of ways to get him to eat it. Here's a section just to give you a taste. I could not, would not on a boat. I will not, will not with a goat. I will not eat them in the rain, I will not eat them on a train, not in the dark, not in a tree, not in a car, you let me be. I do not like them in a box, I do not like them with a fox, I do, will not eat them in a house, I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there, I do not like them anywhere, I do not like green eggs and ham, I do not like them, Sam I am. To which Sam I am says, you do not like them, so you say. Try them. Try them. And you may. Try them and you may, I say. 
And so our friend tries them and he likes them. Very helpful book if you've got children who don't want to eat their dinner. But it's also a profound theological statement. There are good answers to many of the questions you have when you're investigating Jesus. There's all sorts of historical information you can find out and all sorts of research you can do and you can have a lot of arguments presented. But at some point, you're going to have doubts and questions and you just need to decide to trust Jesus, to enter the relationship, to recognise who he is. Do the will of God believe in Jesus. That's what's holding this crowd back. Maybe it's what's holding you back. And see, the thing is, many people today don't believe in Jesus for just that reason, and they have motivation to do that. That's what we see when we get to the Jewish leaders. See, they won't believe in Jesus because they love their own glory too much. That's what's happening with the religious leaders. Jesus doesn't want his own glory. Verse 18, he says, He's seeking God's glory. Whoever speaks on their own does does so to gain personal glory, but he who speaks seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. That's Jesus. There is nothing false about him. And so as we read through the rest of the chapter, we see this stark contrast between Jesus, the man of truth, and the leaders who are more than willing to lie. So let's look at Jesus first. He consistently speaks the truth. He stands and makes amazing claims, but we know, we know from the rest of the life of Jesus, from reading the rest of the book, that he's, they're true. Everything he says is true. Verse 28, Jesus isn't here on his own authority. He is sent from God. Verse 33, Jesus is going somewhere no one else can come, which we might initially think is heaven, But as we read on in the book, we realise, no, it's the cross. The cross is a place where only Jesus can go for us. My favourite moment is verse 37. Have a look at it. It is a beautiful invitation into God's generosity. Here is Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles, it remembers Israel wandering through the desert. It remembers receiving the law at Mount Sinai, which is why there's all this discussion about interpreting the law But it also particularly, this feast remembers God providing. It remembers the manna and it remembers the water, the water from the rock. And so on the last day of the festival, by the time of Jesus, there's this moment where they have this sort of water water moment. Uh, I don't know what they did. But it's that moment that Jesus gets up and he speaks to the people and he offers them something more abundant than the water coming out of the rock in the desert. He offers them God's spirit flowing like water from the rock, gushing like a river overflowing its banks, flowing from God to Jesus, to the people who believe him, and then on to others. Listen to verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the spirit whom they, those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the sort of truth that Jesus speaks. If you're here today and you've been considering Jesus and you're at that point where you realise you need to try him, I hope that these words of Jesus are the final push to make you make that decision. 
Can you see what Jesus is offering? If you are thirsty, if you are weary in the treadmill of life and you really are convinced there is something more, Jesus offers abundance. Streams of living water, the abundance of his spirit at work in your life. The spirit who gives you relationship with God, the spirit who brings you into relationship with other Christians. The spirit is all yours if you believe in Jesus. I reckon you should make that decision today. If you are at that point, please come and grab me afterwards and we can talk about what that means for your life. But it is worth making that decision. Because in contrast to Jesus are the Jewish leaders. And they lie. And their lies become more and more transparent as you go through the chapter. It is obvious they don't believe in Jesus because they don't want things to change. They want to hold on to their power. So we could look at verses 19 to 24, where Jesus shows that they pick and choose God's law, like they're willing to to say, oh, don't break the Sabbath about healing a man on, on the Sabbath. But they're willing to break the Sabbath just to get a kid circumcised. There's a total inconsistency there. Or, or, or um, you can see in verse 20, they're lying about wanting to kill Jesus because in verse 20, they cry innocent, don't they? Who's trying to kill you? What do you mean killing you? That's a load of rubbish. But by verse 25, everyone in the crowd knows that they're trying to kill Jesus. This is no, no secret. You even get to verse 41 and they're lying about Scripture because they conveniently remember Micah's promise of son, the son of David who comes from Bethlehem but they seem to have forgotten Isaiah 9 and the promise of a a saviour coming from Galilee. Why? Why are they doing all this lying? What's their motive? They don't want to lose their influence. Have a look at verse 31. People start to think Jesus is the Messiah, God's King, and immediately the Pharisees want to shut him down. Verse 31. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? And the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. What I love about this moment, though, is it it leads to some absolute comedy towards the end of the chapter. Because the guards go to arrest Jesus, hear him teaching, and they just can't do it. And so they come back at verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Well, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the Lord, there is a curse on them. And then it's, it's like just to reveal the stupidity of what they've just said, that the lies that they've been living in, Nicodemus who is one of the rulers, and we know from chapter 3, did go and chat with Jesus and seems to be influenced by him, suddenly speaks up. Verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that prophet does not come out of Galilee, which um, is quite a statement given that Jonah, Nahum, Hosea, Elijah and Elisha all came from Galilee. (laughs) Pretty selective reading of the Bible, isn't it? 
But of course, it's obvious by now, the truth doesn't matter to these leaders. They're simply looking for any reason not to believe in Jesus. The truth has just gone out the window because as far as they're concerned, the goal is to not believe in him. I haven't read the book, but I I like this quote um, from Water for Elephants by Sarah Green. You got this quote? Even as your body betrays you, your mind denies it. Even as your body betrays you, your mind denies it. You look in the mirror and you just don't want to accept what you see. I know that's my experience pretty regularly. (laughs) But it is the human habit, is it? There, There are truths that are too hard to swallow. And we will clutch at any excuse not to accept them, not to recognize them as true. If it means that we get to keep believing the lie. See, we shouldn't be surprised that many people don't believe in Jesus. Yes, some scientists don't believe in Jesus. Some profound thinkers and philosophers don't believe in Jesus. But what John 7 reminds us is we're all looking for reasons not to believe in Jesus. Because we all have something to lose. We're all like Jesus' brothers. We're all from this world. We start out opposed to Jesus. That's our default position. And we're also like the crowd. We won't truly recognise Jesus unless we choose to believe in him. That's when it's going to be the clincher. It's not a step of blind faith. I'm not saying you just launch out without evidence. There is lots of investigating you can do. But in the end, to enter any relationship, you have to take the risk and just decide to trust him. And that's definitely true of Jesus. If you're finding that hard then maybe you need to reflect on the Jewish leaders. Maybe you need to ask about your motivations. Are you really being rational and thoughtful about Jesus? Have you really looked at the evidence? As Nicodemus said, have you really listened to him? I'm amazed at how many people will tell me the Bible is full of contradictions and I ask them, well, how much have you read? And they say, oh, actually, not that much. You've got to... You've got to be serious or, or else you've got to be honest about the motivations and say you really don't want things to change. Let me finish by putting it this way. Can you judge a judge? That's what really I think we are in the position of. If you're as old as me, then you will remember Saddam Hussein, who was the uh, prime, prime minister of... Um, no, not prime minister, what is it? President, thank you, of Iraq. He was a president of Iraq. He was captured by the American army. He was put on trial... And every time he spoke in the trial, he would just rail against the court. He would decry it as a, 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 um, a sham. He would say, you have no authority to judge me. But in the end, he was still condemned. He, he yelled against the judge, but in the end, the judge judged. Now, Jesus claims to speak from God. If that's true... He's speaking on behalf of the God who made the world. Then he not only has the right, he has all the power and authority in order to make that judgment. And you can stand there decrying him and try and stand over his position of judgment and try and dismiss him, but it won't make a difference. A better way to make a judgment about Jesus is to listen to him, to stand in the dock and be the person receiving the judgment 
and deciding whether you're going to fight against it or whether you're going to accept the judgment. Because if you'll accept the judgment from Jesus, here's the beautiful thing. He's the one who came to offer you forgiveness as well. He's willing to forgive and to rescue you from the consequence of being an evil person who's rebelled against God. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing Jesus to us. We thank you that he is the person who speaks the truth. We ask that you'd help us to see our own motives and the way we behave. Please also give us confidence when we encounter other people who just refuse to believe in Jesus. Help us to be aware not only of the arguments they bring, but the motivations that sit behind it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to close with a song.